0: Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we chat with author Rebecca Manley Pippert about her newest book, Stay Salt, The World Has Changed, Our Message Must Not. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Rebecca Manley Pippert, who goes by Becky for short, is a global conference speaker, evangelist, and author of 11 books. Becky's worldwide best-selling book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, established her as a leading expert on personal evangelism. Becky is in demand internationally to speak on living life as an effective witness for Christ. Her latest book, Stay Salt, is the fruit of decades of experience in evangelism around the world. Today, Becky divides her time between... North America and Europe as she continues her worldwide ministry, which has spanned nearly four decades on all six continents. Hey there, Becky. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today.
1: Oh, I'm delighted, Christine. Thank you for having me.
0: Before we get started in our conversation, would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this book and where the title Stay Salt comes from?
1: Yes. Well, quite a few years ago, I wrote my first book, which was called Out of the Salt Shaker. And the book was on evangelism. And the idea was that we needed to get out of our Christian bubble and get involved with people in a relational way and share the truth of the gospel in the context of loving relationship, which is really quite radical. That was 40 years ago. I was in my 20s. And I've written other books since then. This is only my second book on evangelism. Most of my ministry has actually been on many different aspects of evangelism. But I wrote it because the world has changed so much since I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. Now, what's the same is the nature of evangelism, the way that Jesus did it, and this beautiful uh, relational way, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel, those things have remained the same. But what's changed? The world has changed dramatically. Uh, we have witnessed in our sort of what I would call postmodern times the lethal distortions of postmodernity and the impact this has had just on american culture much less anywhere in the west is astonishing you know from uh the collapse of absolute truth or uh going from an understanding of authority to personal preference everything is personal preference the sexual revolution i mean there's so many things so i needed to write A new book on evangelism because I wanted to help Christians understand how do we take the beauty and power of the gospel and communicate it for such a time as this. So, the Stay Salt title comes from anybody that might remember out of the salt shaker, but I'm saying this book isn't a a sequel. I'm saying we stay salt, we are salt, we must be salt, but the world has changed. Our message must not. That's where the title comes from.
0: Becky, I told you before we started talking, but I just love this book, and I really appreciated that in the book, you share how you became a Christian as a young adult, and we both have that in common. I was 28 years old when I came to Christ, and so I would love for the audience to hear a little bit about the questions and doubts you were wrestling with prior to accepting Christ as Savior and what your journey to faith looked like.
1: Right. Well, first of all, I, I don't come from a Christian home. I didn't come from a Christian home. By God's grace, and it took a long time, but every member of my family came to Christ. But I was the first one. Hmm. I was an agnostic. I had lots and lots of questions. And I interestingly, I had read every other religion, but cr- the Christian one. And I just didn't find what I was looking for. You asked about my questions. You know, I think... One of the big questions I had was, how is it possible for finite human beings to ever know they've discovered true truth? (laughs) Francis Schaeffer used to call it true truth, absolute truth. I thought it's it's impossible. And so to me, it was just the height of arrogance when someone would say, oh, yes, let me tell you, I know all about God, you know, and I think, how in the world can they say that? Then I had an interesting experience. Now it helped that I'd read other religions, but it was in the spring, I was at home. And I'm from Champaign, Illinois, that's my hometown. It was wonderful weather, I'm lying on, the, on the, the grass, and I noticed an ant mound. And these ants were so busy building this little hill, you know, this ant mound. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that funny? They're, they're so busy, they don't even know I'm here. And then I thought, wouldn't that be amazing if I really wanted to let them know who I am? And I thought, well, what would I do? And my mind was just racing. (laughs) And then I went, I finally figured it out. I thought, the only way they would ever have any idea that I am here is that I would have to come to them. And about that time, two ants crawled on my hand. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if one ant said to the other ant, do you believe in Becky? (laughs) <laughs> and that aunt in my mind, went, oh, I don't believe that myth, that fairy tale. I mean, that's, that's just not true. And I thought, well, what if the other ants said, yeah, I think, I think it's possible there's a Becky. And that's really when it came to me. What would I do to let them know that it's me that I exist? And I thought, I'd have to become an ant. Then I thought, what an amazing thought. The scaling down of the size of me to perfectly represent me in the form of an ant well how would they know that i'm not just an ant well i would have to do things you know things that ants couldn't do miracles etc and then all of a sudden i realized i've just solved my problem of how can a finite human being ever know absolute truth and it was just so clear to me if there is a god he would have to come from the outside in he would have to reveal who he is. That's why we wouldn't have to worry about whether we're deceived because God would come to us. And it shook me to the core. I got up and went into our house and I thought, I'm going to read a Bible and see. Because I thought, I wonder, I've never read the Bible and I don't know much about Christianity, but wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus said, you know, that he really thought he was God And so anyway, we didn't have a Bible. So then I went, all right, I'm gonna go into the study and I'm gonna find any book that has the word Christian in the title. There was exactly one book. And I remember taking it off the shelf, blowing off the dust and thinking, well, who has ever heard of a weird book like this? Near Christianity by (laughs) C.S. Lewis. It had been given to my parents, my mom, I think. She had never read it. I sat down. I read it, and the first thing I realized in the early chapters, Christianity was a religion of revelation. That is the premise. We're in a mess. God came to us from the outside in. And it it was just the impact that book had on me was incredible. Then I went, okay, I got to get a Bible. So I went and uh, bought a Bible and began reading the Gospel of John. That was the first... uh, very first thing i ever read and i was blown away by who jesus was the beauty the radicalness he was so different than what i thought that was the beginning that eventually led me to come to christ and i think it's also why i've always cared so much about evangelism because i wasn't a christian and became one and because i prayed for so many years for my parents in particular to come to Christ and my grandparents and they did so it's always been a passion for me
0: well, thank you for sharing that, Becky. I really relate to a couple of the points. And I think it's always really interesting too, to hear, you know, what's the first book of the Bible someone reads when they first come to know Christ and how mm-hmm. they came to land on that. I know for me, it was the book of Luke. And as a skeptic, the Lord slowly, but surely softening my heart, I figured Luke was a physician and a historian. And so he's gotta be the one who's like the most legitimate person to be reading. And so I'm gonna hear what he has to say. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was kind of my uh, reason behind it. And so that was the first book that I ended up reading. As you have traveled the world speaking to Christians on the subject of evangelism, have you observed some common reasons why just in general people are hesitant to share their faith with others?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a fascinating thing because my husband and I have just come back from seven years in, based in the UK, but ministering throughout the UK and all of the continent of Europe. We've been in Asia. We've been in Africa. We've been in South America. I mean, really we've we've been just about everywhere. And what amazes me is that the things people say now, the global North and the global South are different. We're in the West and, and our culture and Western culture would be Australia, Europe, America, Mm etc., and North America. That's very different than the global South. Nevertheless, The things people say that Christians say are almost always the same. Do you know the number one thing I hear? I can't tell you how many times we have given an evangelism training conference and somebody will walk up in the middle of it and say to me, Becky, I really do want to witness. I do, but I can't. I go, why can't you? Because, and then it's as if they're confessing their deepest, darkest secret. Because, because I feel so inadequate. And I always say, of course you're inadequate. We're all inadequate. Uh, we are weak. Isn't it freeing to know? What did the risen Christ say to the apostle Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, so, i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest upon me that is why actually in the very first section of my book stay salt it's on the means what has god given all of us evangelists non-evangelists whatever our gifting what has he given us to enable us to be witnesses he's given us the holy spirit he's given us the word of God. He's given us the gospel, the beauty of Jesus. But more than anything else, what we've got to learn is to celebrate our smallness, celebrate our weakness as we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first thing. I'm inadequate. Second thing, I just don't know enough. I don't understand the gospel enough. I don't know how to defend it. And actually, the second section of Stay Salt Is on the message, the means, and then the message, in which we can look at. Okay, because this is what I find from all the years of doing evangelism training: what is the gospel? Each aspect of it—creation, fall, redemption, etc. What kind of pushback are we going to hear from skeptics, and how do we answer them? And how do we help them connect their longings and show them why they're so beautifully met in the gospel? So the first is the means, which is the answer to, I'm inadequate. <laughs> mm. God is the great, the great evangelist, and he goes before us, and he works through us through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I don't know enough. That's why the, we need to understand the message. And then the third thing I always hear is, I'm just not confident. I am afraid. I have so many fears. I don't know, how do I start? How do I bring up the topic of faith naturally? What if they ask me a question I can't answer? I mean, it's always the same. And so then we look in the model, how did Jesus engage in evangelism? And how do we deal with our fears? And how do we reach spiritually close people? So it's, it's all of that kind of stuff. But the truth is, everybody basically says the same thing. You know, in one way, that's kind of reassuring, because what they're struggling with is, oh, my goodness, is it okay for me to be human? Mm. That's what we've got to learn. God uses us in our weakness. God uses us in our inadequacy. And he wants us to connect as a human being to a human being. And to, to celebrate our smallness and depend upon his power. When I was a new
0: believer, the thought of evangelism actually really terrified me. I specifically remember telling an evangelist friend that was part of the local business community that I was networking in at the time, uh, that I was certain I would never do anything at all remotely close to evangelism because of the reasons that you just mentioned but also because you know as a new believer and at this point just starting to learn about what spiritual gifts are i thought that evangelism was for gifted people like people who say i know i have been gifted with the gift of evangelism and i did not feel like i was that person at the time and so how do you help people work through that kind of objection where they feel like you know what it's This is really just something for people who are gifted evangelists, not just for the everyday Christian.
1: Oh, exactly. Christine, I hear that all the time. And first of all, how do you help people to see, you know, when they say, I couldn't possibly, and that's what I hear all the time. I'm sorry, (laughs) Becky, I don't have the gift. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. (laughs) Which is really what they're saying. Number one, why do we share our faith? Because Jesus commands us to go ye therefore and what did he say christine he didn't say go ye therefore all you extroverts uh, all you evangelists all you clergy go and make disciples the rest of you just sing hymns hang out I'll be back no Jesus never mentions temperament he never mentions gifting because it is a command for all of us to be his witnesses the truth is there are you know, there are some God is gifted as evangelists, but it isn't required. Yet we are called to go and to be an effective, loving witness for such a time as this. I also think that what can give us confidence is when you realize, and boy, again, having just come from Europe and realizing, oh my goodness, we've kind of, we Dick and I, my husband and I were saying on our flight back, we've come back from our future, because America is becoming so much more secular in really astonishing ways. And here's the thing I want Christians to realize, secularism doesn't address or answer our deepest longings. God has placed in every human being the longing for identity, longing for meaning, longing for purpose. And even though skeptics may not be able to quite articulate what it is they're looking for, the longing is there. We saw it over and over again in Europe that as we were talking to non-Christians, there was an openness, an openness that was thrilling, but it was the Christians who were terrified to say anything. And so that was part of what we were doing is trying to help the christians to say no listen let's look at how you can do this i really believe our age is one of the greatest opportunities for christian witness since the time of jesus now that's one thing jesus commands us to but why are christians so reluctant to share their faith besides what you said that is it isn't my gift well first i don't think we realize That God is the great evangelist, and I've already said this, but it's important. He is the great evangelist who is delighted to use us in our weakness. God has always used the weak. You you go through the whole of the Bible, and he's using weak people and delights to do so. Uh, So God is the great evangelist. We have to depend on him. He's always used the weak. Another issue is you say the word evangelism. And I'm still amazed how many Christians think that it means preaching a sort of memorized formula to use on a victim and then run away.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Rather than to really get engaged to non-Christians, find out what are they thinking? What are their questions? What are their obstacles? What are their needs? But the other thing is that it's not just that we all have a wrong view about evangelism. I think, and I think this is much more common today, that we have redefined evangelism in a way that isn't biblical. One of the things I hear all the time in the West is, well, our task is to demonstrate the gospel, not tell the gospel. And what I hear endlessly quoted is the idea attributed to Francis of Assisi that we are to quote, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, first of all, there is no historical evidence that Assisi ever said that. And if he did say it, he was wrong. Biblical evangelism is bearing witness for Christ in three ways. Through who we are, that our lives demonstrate the, the fruit of the spirit by what we do, that's another aspect, that's the visual. Um, Who we are and what we do actually could be the visual aspect of evangelism, and that is where we are to care for the poor, we are to care about our cities. You look at the apostolic church, the early church, and the tremendous way they witnessed through the way they cared for many of the social needs in their day. So it's who who we are, what we do, and what we say. And I have to say, I believe in the gospels and the uh, the epistles and Acts, the book of Acts. The primary emphasis, all three are important. We are what we do, what we say. All three are required, but the primary means is the verbal. Now, if you don't have a visual to back it up, you're going to run into trouble. People have got to see we put our money where our mouth is. But the truth is, the verbal is absolutely where we're the weakest in the West. And the the world is changing so much. We've just got to know how to communicate the gospel for such a time as this.
0: There was a striking statement you made in the book that really captured my attention i think because i still lack confidence in this area but i also get excited like when i'm talking to you about it and I hopefully the listeners at this point are like yeah i want to be better at this too i want to share my faith you say that quote evangelism is still easier than we think and harder than we imagine. It is both exciting and deadly serious. Can you explain
1: what you meant by that observation? Right. The first thing, and I would say is I look over my life as an evangelist, as an evangelism trainer, is that I, I, and I still say it today, evangelism is so much easier than I ever assumed. If you're following Jesus' way, we'll we'll talk about that sometime in in this interview, but when you look at the way Jesus did, well, actually, I can even say it now, when you look at the way Jesus always engaged with people, took time for people, he wasn't pushing on to another person in case The person he was speaking to didn't seem open. He loved people. He found out by asking questions. He was respectful. He would shed tears. He had compassion. Jesus was radically identified in love. He was radically different in holiness. He spoke truth. He was bold. He was courageous. He spoke truth in in love, but he spoke truth. If you're following Jesus' way, compassion, engaging in relationship, asking questions, sharing the good news in the context of love, you're gonna find that people are much more open to having spiritual conversations uh, than, than you probably thought. And this this is even in the surveys with Pew and elsewhere, they're saying, even with all the changes in our culture, non-Christians really are open to engaging in dialogue. They don't want to be preached to. But they're really open to engaging in dialogue. It is, evangelism is easier than you ever might have imagined. But evangelism is harder than I ever dreamed. Why? Certainly, this would be a secondary reason. And that is that our culture has become increasingly... Uh, more hostile to faith. It is really hostile more though to a caricature of Christianity mm-hmm. that the media portrays or cultural elites portray. It's, it's I, I think that's where the hostility lies more than than in what true Christianity is. But the real problem and why evangelism is always harder than we think, we have an enemy. And Satan is absolutely determined to try and scare us to death, to intimidate us, to rouse all of our fears and we've got to continually remember don't be surprised if if you run into some challenges expect it But, but also realize Jesus defeated Christ at the cross he is a defeated foe and we have to be sensitive and aware of the enemy's tactics but realizing we have the most powerful resource in the whole world we have the power of the presence of jesus in us through the power of the holy spirit so those are the two reasons why i would say it's both easier and harder
0: it's one thing to share the gospel with those we know who are like you said, open to spiritual things or open to dialogue perhaps, and they've expressed some kind of curiosity or interest, but it can be a lot more intimidating to engage someone that we know is a vocal skeptic of the Christian faith. And you observe in the book, you write, quote, skeptics can tell if we are merely reciting a set of beliefs or if we have fallen in love with the one we are proclaiming. Would you unpack that contrast and explain the difference it Makes in our witnessing efforts. I think
1: the first thing is that it is so true that non-Christians can tell two things right away. One, if we are speak- when we do share our faith, if we're speaking about somebody we really know and we really love, uh, and we shouldn't be embarrassed to express our delight and our love in in who god is now how do we deepen and and experience falling in love with jesus all over again you need to keep reading the gospels read them again and again look at the way jesus approached people how he approached unbelievers fall in love with jesus i mean ask god for that and god will will give you that um but boy reading the jesus stories i tell you one of the things i most love to do with my skeptic friends is to do a study together on the person of jesus whether it's just one non-christian in me or whether it's several skeptics in me it is so exciting because he's so powerful he's so beautiful he's so radical they're always stunned so bring people into the presence of jesus okay so that's one thing and that is we have to fall in love with jesus but i tell you what comes before that non-christians can tell if they're an evangelistic project or if you really care about them. They can smell the evangelistic project thing. I mean, they can smell it in an instant. And so what's going to come first is they will realize, huh, this person, even though I didn't know that I even like Christians, they like me, and they care about me. And not just about what i you know my they wouldn't use the word salvation but not just maybe my spiritual state but they genuinely care about me as a whole person so that's usually that's what comes first and then as they see your love for them but you also asked in this question what do you do when you're meeting somebody who seems to be um a vocal skeptic and i I think and somebody that might be more spiritually closed and if it's okay, do we have time if I just give you an example? Oh, please do. I'm, okay. yes. <laughs> all right. Now this is in Stay Salt. This is in my book, but it didn't happen all that long ago. And I'm on a plane, I'm flying somewhere, and it was a long flight. And I had, uh, was working on my talks, and this woman next to me kept asking me questions. And after a while, I realized I've got to put away my <laughs> material she wants. She really wants to talk. And so I do what I always do. Silently, I pray to prayer. And I said, Lord Jesus, help me. And Holy Spirit, come and open my eyes. Let me genuinely connect with her and open her eyes and guide this conversation. So you always pray first. There's a second thing you do when you're talking with somebody. And know this is assuming this isn't a person you know well. It's different when it's a friend find common ground. Because what happens when you find common ground? What are your common interests? What do you really enjoy the same? Once you establish common ground, you're connecting authentically as human beings. And that's very important, because if, you know, assuming that they discover you're a Christian in that conversation, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to write you off as a uh, Jesus freak, a fanatic, because they got to know you as a human being. So it's important that we establish common ground. And that's genuine. It's not that it's a gimmick, but it's genuine. Well, in this conversation, we started talking, talking about different things, what we enjoyed. Turns out we were both world travelers. We loved to learn languages. We love other cultures. And we just had a lot in common. And I just was delighted in the conversation. Now, what happens when you start connecting is that often trust is built and they'll start sharing their values or a little bit about their beliefs. Sure enough, she goes, you know, Becky, I really believe that human, human beings are good and human nature is so good. Now, here's the mistake that we make in conversations. All right. Now she stated something I definitely do not believe. All right. So what do you do to continue the conversation when you could? It could be an impasse. Now you, you're talking about something, and you know your views are different. Mm-hmm. You ask more questions. And so I said, um, "She said, I really believe all human beings are good." I said, "Listen, I'm just curious. What do you think about the state of the world?" And she said, "Oh, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess." And I said, okay so help me understand this help me out here how can the world be a mess if human beings are all only good she went that is a very good question she goes all right let me let me just think for a minute and she said here's what i think the source of the problem is at least in america i think we've got two primary problems either we have addiction issues and we need recovery or we're psychologically wounded and we need therapy. Don't you agree, Becky? And I said, yes, I do agree that those are significant problems, and I agree that those solutions have truly helped people. But I've got a question. I said, what if a person learns to live in recovery from their immediate addiction, only to discover that their problem is deeper still? What if they find out their ultimate addiction? is to themselves. What if they've got a heart problem? And she went, wow. Well, I got to tell you, I think I agree with you about that, but oh my goodness, who has the power to heal the heart? Who has the power? Where do you get rehab for the heart? And I said, you know, the truth is, I can't think of anybody but God. In fact, that's what led me from agnosticism to actually becoming a Christian. But that's a long story. And I stopped. Why did I stop there? And that's the first time I mentioned God in that conversation, because I wanted to know if she really wanted to hear. And she goes, oh, she goes, no, no, no. She goes, I really want to hear your story. Then we began to really talk about the gospel one of the things, you know, that that she asked me that I thought was so fascinating is that she said, okay, what does the Bible say is our biggest problem? And I said, well, I said, now this isn't quite the terminology the Bible uses, but it's, it's that one of our problems is that we have a God complex. We keep getting ourselves and God mixed up. We keep trying to run the show. And I tell you, Christine, it's amazing how little pushback I get on this from unbelievers. She goes, Oh man, do I have a God complex? I'm trying to run my life. And I absolutely can tell you uh, that, that I don't make a great God, but I can't imagine life any other way. And she said, so, so you said that's your terminology. What does the Bible call it? And I said, well, the Bible calls it sin because what we're doing is we're trying to be God instead of letting God be God. And she said, Oh, I thought sin was drug sex and rock and roll it's <laughs> so classic you know no just what are some principles there of how how we go in how we can relate we pray we find common ground we ask questions we ask questions that gently challenge their worldview we agree where we can here's another thing use their terminology hmm. i said what if we find that we're addicted to ourselves now what am i really starting to bring up i'm starting to bring up sin why didn't i use that word because i assume she probably thought sin was drug sex and rock and roll in other words we start with their language and we go on their turf but as you keep talking it is amazing how easy it becomes to say well let me tell you what that really means to be addicted to ourselves to have a god country It's what the Bible calls sin. So anyway, that's, this story is in the book, but it's it's a way that we can begin to connect with people who seem quite spiritually closed. Just one more thing. I'm sorry that story lasted so long. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) When we got off the plane and we said goodbye, she turns to walk away and stops. And she calls me and said, Becky. And I stopped and she said, I just don't want to end this conversation. If I emailed you, would you be willing to email me? And I said, you have no idea how much I'd love that. And we are now engaged in, uh, email correspondence, looking at the gospel. Of course I've sent her books and Bible and all of that, Mm -hmm. but people are more open than what you think. That is such a wonderful
0: story. Thank you for sharing that. And I would just echo there are so many really engaging stories you share in Stay Salt. Oh. I am just totally hooked on this book and I couldn't recommend it more highly. But, Becky, I do want to ask you you know, you helped us kind of walk through how we might engage someone in a conversation. What if we hear this podcast and we get all excited and we feel really like, okay, we're going to give it a try. And then we go and we engage an unbeliever or a skeptic and they ask us the dreaded question that we're just, that stops us dead in our tracks and we have absolutely no idea how to thoughtfully respond. Yeah. How do we navigate that type of yeah. situation yeah. where there's a question and we just don't know how to answer it?
1: Yeah exactly you know it's interesting as i do get asked that question all the time and what it really reveals is back to the original problem that i talked about and that is we think we have to be perfect we think we have to know every single answer that could ever come up we think we have to be the perfect witness in every single way we are not celebrating our smallness and delighting that god can use us as we are you know i do quite a bit of work with ravi zacharias ministries and they're such a wonderful ministry with apologetics and we need it's very helpful actually just to look at what are basic questions and what might be an answer etc but let me tell you something i know this has been said many times but people really do care more about how you care than what you know Mm -hmm. and they want real. They want authentic. They are thinking, oh, well, forget that if she can't answer every question. So for instance, somebody asked me a question. I I don't know the answer. First thing I do is I usually say, can you explain this more to me? I want to understand it better. Can you give me more background and also why it's so important to you? Now, in the meantime, I'm praying and saying, Lord, just help me. Help me to be able to answer if, if I can. <clears throat> so I'm listening to them and I'm gathering my thoughts, really. And you know, often I will listen very carefully to see how they ask the question, well, where is God in suffering? You, you, and you feel a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. And so what I will often say is that is, particularly in the question of suffering, um, that is the most important question and the most difficult Uh, Because God reveals himself as a loving and tender and merciful God. And yet there is suffering. So before I would get into even some kind of answer, I would say, but can I say something? You seem to have a lot of energy in the way you communicate that. I don't say, wow, you really seem angry. Mm -hmm. I say, you seem to have a lot of energy. Can I ask why? And almost every time, if they expressed a lot of anger in the question, it's, yeah, my mom died when I was four, where was God? Now we know we're not just dealing with an academic question, we're dealing with a wound. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with woundedness, we need to identify and we need to express our love and our concern. And to say, do you know that uh, when, now, for example, when, when Lazarus died and Jesus went to his tomb, he wept. Now, there's a lot more behind that story and about what Jesus was weeping about. But, but nevertheless, you see a, a tender God. Anyway, the other thing I would say, so I'm, I'm looking to see if they, um, the the energy that was expressed in that question, I pray, <clears throat> ask God to help me. I ask them questions about why it's important. If they have a lot of energy, I, I, I ask them why. But I am so free to say that, is a fantastic question, and I haven't a clue what the answer is. I am so glad God brought you into my life to sharpen me and let me learn. Now, I don't know the answer, but I'm gonna look and find out, Uh, and hopefully find out. Can we get together and keep talking? Now, what do they see there? This is a real person. And not only that, but the question I asked didn't intimidate Becky like, oh, no, I don't know, it actually kind of made her excited because she's going to learn. You see, we, we've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. And there is such a hunger for real and authenticity today. Um, so people so often are worried about things that in the end of the day, it's not, it's really not the big problem. Well, Becky, we've got time for a couple more questions. So
0: I would love for you to speak on a hot topic or a current event that is going on in the world. As we record this podcast, the coronavirus is ripping through the globe, leaving a trail of fear and despair, isolation, and even death in its wake. So how might followers of Christ stay salt in times like these Mm -hmm. in the face of global pandemics or some other kind of major catastrophe?
1: I'm so glad you asked about this because never when I when we wrote the uh, tagline to stay salt, the world has changed. Our message must not, never did I dream when the launch I think is May 4th, that we would be I I was thinking about the tremendous change in the world since I wrote out of Salt Shaker, never dreaming COVID-19 would happen. So first thing we've got to look at is how is the world changing through this? I'm on a lot of, uh, being asked on a lot of Zoom conferences around the world to speak on evangelism right now. And the thing that, that I hear from everybody is the spiritual openness right now. Because catastrophe at this level gets everybody's attention. It always has. The thing about catastrophe is that it, the fog lifts and we're able to see reality more clearly. And what are people, and I mean, I just had 400 university students in all 40 countries in Europe, and they all said what their fellow students, and these are the most secular of the secular. They're saying, wow, I'm not in charge. They're afraid, they need help, they want hope. That's true everywhere. Do you know an agnostic friend called me during this and she said, you know, Becky, I always told you I was in charge of my destiny but the Coronavirus has opened my eyes to see I'm not in control. And to tell you the truth, I've always known it, but Coronavirus pushed me to be more honest. And I said, how have you always known it? And she said, because if I'm really God, which is what I assumed, what kind of God needs to take meds for anxiety? Hmm. (laughs) Wow, that is powerful. It's straight out of Romans one. She was saying in her own words, I have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And then she goes, the truth is I make it lousy gun. And I said, oh, so do I. I said, so does everybody. I said, it is way beyond our pay grade. And I said, I tell you what, you haven't been open to this before when I've asked, but what would you think if we get together, do FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, whatever you want? Let's take a look at one, uh, just one, of the stories of jesus you know, and just find out what was jesus like you don't have to believe in the bible you don't have to believe in jesus you don't have to believe anything but how can you make an intelligent decision if you've never found out who jesus is and she said all right all right we'll do it i cannot tell you i've written seeker bible studies in luke and john it'll be in my um uh, website mm-hmm. but it is so much fun to do studies looking at the life of Jesus. So what, all right, so what do we do during coronavirus? What are the things, how, how do we minister to people for such a time as this? And I actually want to say something before I even answer that. I am convinced that we need to use this time right now to rediscover how to pray for revival, as Christians did in the past. Every, let's just take the first and second great awakenings, changed history and how, and then there've been revivals besides that. What precipitates it is catastrophe. Hmm. And then believers crying out to God in desperation to bring revival. And I'm actually doing an article and then I'm going to be doing some videos on this of connecting the prayers for the great revivals to how we do evangelism today. That's a big topic, but it is, we, we really need to use this time uh, of how to pray for revival. Secondly, we need to use this isolation time to prepare ourselves for evangelism. The world's changing, and we have tremendous evangelistic opportunities right now, but also after the crisis. It's why I wrote Stay Salt, to strengthen believers to share their faith, in these challenging times now what do we do right now with our non-christian friends i love that model it's not my own but it's prayer care share Uh, i think it might come from uh lausanne committee for world evangelism i'm not sure but what do you do first step pray ask god lord who are the people in my life right now that you are seeking who may be open and so you pray for them and you ask for power in the spirit holy boldness a lot of love you know ask god to help you then care call your non-christian friends or family members or um, neighbors ask them genuinely how are you doing how are you handling the This is hard for everybody listen express compassion ask them how to pray and i would encourage you to take the risk if you feel the relationship is strong enough and say could I just pray for you right now, for these things that you're talking about? I really care about you, and I'd love to pray, and I wanna talk again. Then the third thing, uh, and that is share, uh, asking them, how are you finding peace? And maybe not in the, um, usually what I'm finding is they're telling me, uh, where do you find this peace? Where do you find, you know, uh, they're asking questions. And maybe not in the first conversation, but maybe in the second or the third, I'd suggest you do what I said to my agnostic friend. You know, Jesus is fascinating. Have you ever actually read the New Testament to see what he was like? You don't have to believe. You don't have to, but you need to at least know what he says. So it might be a fun thing to do in this social isolation. And in fact, you know what I'm praying about is that I'll not only be able to do it with one person, but I would love to be able to do it with several of my friends on Zoom where we can all see each other. Now what you'll have to do, um, and I've got, you know, Seeker Bible Study guides that can help you, but you'll need to then send them or they can they can download whatever the text is that you're going to do. And here's my experience. You do one study, they like it, they really do, and uh, they're going to want to do another. So uh, now my studies I think have six or seven. One's in Luke and ones in John, but oh my gosh, bring people into the presence of Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than the presence of Jesus. Anyway, I I hope that is something that uh, our people that are listening might pray about and consider doing.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing just those practical ways we can handle our witness and and help also bring comfort, uh, you know, yeah. the hope and help of the gospel to people and, and to a world really who, who need it desperately. I mean, they've always needed it, but now they're a little bit more, as you said, aware of their need. Becky, I'm going to have us close out the show by inviting you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is intrigued by this conversation, but they still feel apprehensive about actively sharing Christ with other people. What would you say to this person to encourage them that witness matters and that God will be faithful to multiply their effort as they seek to make his gospel known.
1: Christine, could I answer that by way of prayer? Yes, please. Oh, Heavenly Father, Triune God, we thank you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have not left us alone. You have not left us without resources. And I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you came to this planet, that you suffered and died. For our sin, and so that we might live as you always intended us to live. We can never thank you enough for what you've done for us, never. But Lord, we thank you that you want to use us just as we are. And Lord, we feel inadequate, we feel frightened, we feel worried that we're gonna blow it, and yet. What you keep telling us again and again is, I know who you are and I have always used the weak. So lean on me, depend on me. I go before you and I will follow after you. I'm the great evangelist. So lean on me, be obedient and see what I can do. Lord, that is my prayer that people Believers will accept their smallness, that they will walk in the power of the Spirit, and that you will give us all a boldness and a courage and love for people like we've never known before. And Lord, help us to take our eyes off ourselves. We get so introspective and we start looking inward, and that's the devil's tool. Lord, we look up and out at you. You have the power. You have the love. You have the truth. It is your gospel, not ours. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you set us free? And I pray, Lord, that you will also deepen our faith as we lift our eyes to you. And, Lord, I'm going to pray a very bold prayer. I pray for fruit. And I pray for everyone who is listening to this podcast who takes up your command, Lord Jesus to go and make disciples. I pray that they will see one person come to Jesus Christ in faith in this time of crisis of COVID-19. Lord, bring good, bring mercy, bring salvation out of this time. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you so much Becky. What a powerful prayer. I'm just so thankful. We I feel like I have had such a treat having you on the show today. What a privilege it is to hear from you and all of your wisdom and experience. And I'm just so thankful that you are so gracious to share what you've learned uh, with us. And I want to also ask if there's somebody who wants to get connected with your ministry. Maybe they want to learn all about the things and the resources that you've mentioned and they're not sure where to go. Where can they find you online?
1: Right. Um, Well, my website is beckypippert.org, O-R-G, and on the website you'd find Stay Salt, and you'd find the Seeker Bible Studies, I think they're called Uncovering the Life of Jesus, that was it, Uncovering the Life of Jesus and Discovering the Real Jesus. You'd find Empowered, which is the evangelism training, and oh golly, a lot of other stuff. Um, So absolutely, I invite you um, to pursue that and uh, hope that you enjoy what you find. Well, thanks again, Becky, for
0: joining us for the show today. I know I was blessed by our conversation. I know that I will be coming back to this book, Stay Salt, time and time again, just for personal encouragement, uh, but also just to get myself better equipped to witness uh, my faith in Jesus Christ to uh, the people who are around me and even in my local church and counseling context. So thank you you again so much. Oh, bless you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.